Our passage today, um, keeping in that same series that Kevin has been in as Who is the Real Jesus, God at the Dead End. And here's a moment of the disciples being at a dead end. They've just come off, the, the context of this, of this story, they've just completed uh, feeding the 5,000. And it was probably far greater number than that, probably 10,000, 12,000, because they only counted men in that day. And so um, it's a lot of people. Uh, and they fed those, those thousands of people with five pieces of bread and two fish. And miraculously, there was baskets and baskets, 12 baskets of leftovers. So Jesus did this amazing miracle. And it's on the heels of that miracle that this story happens. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask now that you would bless your people, um, feed them with your word, encourage them, comfort them. Holy Spirit, amen. Um, what do you do when Jesus tells you to go to the other side of the lake and you don't get there? What do you do when Jesus says, go to the other side of the lake, he takes off, and you don't get to the other side of the lake? What is, I wonder what's going on inside of your head because these men would have grown up, been around the Sea of Galilee, known that the Sea of Galilee is, has storms like this all the time. This is not the only storm they're in, uh, in the Gospels. They knew that, that, that cold winds from the north, from the Golan Heights, would, would, would blow in, and then the warm air from the, from the desert, and it would meet, and it would be like a hurricane in minutes. It's a dead end. And it doesn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to them. And I, that's where my life is right now. How, when will this change? When will this get better? Your theology doesn't fix this. Theology is great, but it doesn't make life easy. And it doesn't make this make sense. COVID doesn't make sense. And so, what do we do when we're meet a dead end? That's what this, this is what this is about. First point, we're going to look at the dead end. Second, we're looking, like, looking at God being with us at the dead end. God does not draw in straight lines. We think in straight lines, he just doesn't do it. God with us at the dead end, and then so what? The dead end, God with us at the dead end, so what? I hope it's encouraging to you. This, this story has been... 
um, a story that I've been orbiting around for the past nine months in my own life, this story. And it's also been one when I'm talking to students or I'm talking to graduates or I'm talking to whoever, and they're, I'm, I'm taking them into this story because I think it fits so perfectly with where I am right now and where so many of us are. The dead end. Okay, so how is this a dead end? First, the plan is to go to the other side of the lake. They're obeying Jesus. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And they're going in circles. So physically tired? Yes. Imagine how exhausting, physically exhausting, being out all day, listening to Jesus preach, out in the sun, right? And then this massive miracle, which would have been not only physically taxing to go around and feed that many people, right, with all these baskets, but then emotionally taxing to experience that. I mean, there's like good trauma, right? <laughs> that's like a, that's a, that's a deep moment for these guys. And by the way, they don't really understand the implications of it. They're just, they're just in the middle of this Jesus thing that is happening. And it is at the fourth watch of the night. That means it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. No one wants to be awake at three, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The only people that are awake are some college students, cops, and people making donuts. Like, like no one, you don't, like new parent, moms, y'all, you don't want to be awake at 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., but you are, right? They're awake and they're exhausted, and they're going in circles on a wine-black sea where they have known people have died many times and sunk to the very bottom. That's exhausting, and that's terrifying. For hours, and Jesus is watching them. They're making headway painfully. That means that they're barely moving. And just the fact that they're alone, I think, is striking. Jesus was not with them. They had left everything to be with Jesus. They left their jobs. They left their families. They left the safety and comfort of their lives to follow this man that they believe might be the Messiah. They're confused by that. Sometimes they think it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they believe it. Sometimes they don't. But he's not with them in the boat at this time. Would that feel like abandonment? Would that feel like confusion? That, that, that would just be so overwhelming. It would feel so awful. It would be so scary. So let me ask you this question. Is there some struggle in your life, some relationship, some habit, some way of being, something that you hope would work out and it hasn't worked out, and you feel like it was supposed to, and you're supposed to get to the other side of the lake, and you're not? Does it ever feel like you should be getting better than you are? <laughs> and your sanctification, your growth in Christ is like at a snail's pace, two steps forward, three steps back, two steps forward, 12 steps back? Did you expect more straight lines in your life? Depending on where you are in your life, you, you live long enough and you start realizing that there are no straight lines and you can become bitter and cynical. 
Or maybe you're looking at life and saying like, I thought I would be a better parent than I am. I thought this all would be easier. This, I was told, I personally was told that life was kind of supposed to work if you were a responsible citizen, if you rededicated your life to Jesus, if you voted the right way and you did the right things and you believed all the right things, I thought that life would be easier. Whether or not anyone ever came out and said that, they basically said that. If you go to church and tithe, if you avoid really big scandalous sins, then God would give you a good life and you would die and go to heaven. But you come to stories like this, and they're little moments or snapshots where what do we do with Christianity in the middle of a dead end? Has God met your ex- How about this? Has Jesus met your expectations? Has he just, are you disappointed with Jesus? What are we supposed to do when Jesus tells us to do something and we don't get there? That's what's happening here. And that happens again and again in the Gospels. And it happens again and again in the Christian life. Oh, love that will not let me go. Kevin would be so mad at me that I don't remember the name of the guy who wrote this hymn. But the story behind this, the story behind this hymn, the guy who wrote it, um, his fiance broke off an engagement. And then not long after that, he found out that he had this degenerative disease with his sight that he would eventually lose all of his sight. And so the idea of, oh, love that will not let me go. And he's talking about... Um, I trace the rainbow through the rain. It, you, that's this, this guy would be talking about. He would understand this. So the victorious self-actualization religion dies here. And your neighbors in, in East Nashville, they need you to kill that religion too. The type of teaching or the type of church that said, if you follow these rules and these principles, that you will have a nice family. If you could do these, these things, then your marriage will be great and you won't fight. I've heard people say, if I could just believe the gospel more, if I could just believe the gospel more and believe that God loves me more, I won't be insecure. Not true. God meets you in your insecurity. God uses your insecurity. And here, here's the point. The things that we think are roadblocks are the road. We keep thinking of them as roadblocks, but they're actually the road. And we must face this reality for so many reasons. So God with us at the dead end. That's the dead end. And it, it kind of feels like loose ends, like things aren't tied up, that there's not, not, a nice, not a nice bow. That's why I love this story so much. Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus sees them, and he sees their need, and he goes out to them. But the, he could have gone out to them in a variety of ways. He could have met them. He could have gotten in the boat with them in the first place. He wants to do it this way. And the, the, the phrase there, he meant to pass by them, is a really important biblical, technical phrase. He meant to pass by them. And, and we have to focus in on this. The word pass by, the Greek word parakomai, this is what my study Bible said, so no one thinks that I'm like a scholar. 
Walking on water, passing by walking on the water, that word is to make you think of the exodus with Moses. It's the exact word that is used, phrase that's used whenever Yahweh passes by in front of Moses in the exodus. In other words, what Mark is doing, what the gospel writers are doing, as this story was retold and retold, and as Jesus is picking this up, he told them, I'm meant to pass by you in the exact same way that the Lord, the great I am, passed by in front of Moses when Moses said, who should I tell you? Who should I tell them sent me? You tell them I am sent you. He said, let me see your glory and the glory pass by. Jesus wanted to pass by them the same way. A glimpse of glory at a dead end. It also comes from Job chapter 9. He's also picking up the imagery from Job chapter 9 verse 8. Where it said that, that God tramples on the waves of the sea. It's the same phrase. He walks on the sea. And that he also says in verse 11 of Job chapter 9. He passes by me. Jesus waits and watches them go in circles so that he could pass by them and walk on the waves in front of them so they could see it. What does that mean? Y'all, waves and water meant chaos in the Old Testament and in the ancient world. They were synonymous. It was the imagery for chaos and things being out of control. It is the picture of dead end. So what is Jesus doing? You take all of this imagery together. What is happening? Jesus is walking on the chaos. So I want you to think about your dead end again. I'm not explaining it to you, and I'm not telling you why you're going through it. I'm telling you Jesus walks on it. Whatever you're experiencing, no matter what it is, no matter how chaotic it is, whether, it, whether it's a virus, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an impossibility, whether it's addiction, whatever you're going through, Jesus walks on it. That's why he's doing it. Jesus designed this entire story so that they wouldn't live in straight line, fixed point thinking so that they could see that he walks on whatever has your number. Jesus looked at the disciples in John 16 and said, I've overcome the world. You'll have trouble in this world. You are going to have trouble. I've overcome this world. What does that mean? I hold both of those things together. I've overcome the world. I've beaten the world. Life is hard, scary, and it makes very little sense. And God is good and victorious, and he walks on the waves. We have to hold both of them together. It means that Jesus overwhelms everything that overwhelms you. But it doesn't mean things don't overwhelm you. How often I, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm talking to myself or I'm talking to my family, I'm talking to other Christians over the years, we want to not be overwhelmed. Tough. We are going to be overwhelmed. We're going we're gonna to die with lots of questions unanswered. We're going to die in, in, in mystery. A lot of us are going to, and it's not going to make sense. There's going to be so many, there's going to be some jagged edges in our lives. That's just going to be the way it is now. 
In this world, you will have tribulation. Take heart. I've overcome the world. I walk on the waves. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying over and over and over again. Exhausted, afraid, doubting, and depressed. Just like Elijah. The same image here. Elijah, the prophet, hunted by Jezebel, totally overwhelmed, totally exhausted and depressed. He wants to die. Then in 1 Kings chapter 19, the angel says, go stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. And there was a great wind. The Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire. And the Lord was not in a fire. And after a fire, a sheer silence. And Elijah heard it. And he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood at the entrance of a cave. (laughs) And there came a voice from the cave. Elijah, what are you doing here? Where are you? He said, Mark tells us that they didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the loaves. That is an interesting thing to say. They didn't understand about the loaves. So they they look out at Jesus. They think it's a ghost. They're terrified. Of course they're terrified in the middle of the night, seeing someone walk on water. You know why they're terrified? People don't walk on water. Imagine at 4 a.m., you're on the Sea of Galilee. You're going in circles the wind is blowing, the water's coming up over the edge, and someone goes like, hey, I, I don't want to make matters worse. I think, I think there's a ghost on the water. That's a little upsetting. And then they realize it's Jesus. Jesus gets in the boat. It becomes totally calm. He said they didn't understand about the loaves. You know what that means? They had just been with Jesus and watched him do something utterly impossible. Jesus drives us right into absolute impossibility, not straight lines. He drives us into our own insufficiency, our own sin, our own brokenness, our own impossibility. And then he has the people sit down on the green grass. That's what Mark says. Sit down on the green grass. They sit down on the green grass, which would make them think of another Old Testament, very well-known Old Testament passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he leads me to green pastures. Sit down on the green pastures. And then he breaks the bread and he feeds all of these people. Just like the Lord fed the Israelites in, in the desert with manna. Just like he led them with the pillar of fire, with the, with the smoke. Just like he brought water out of the rock. Just like he's always, look, every time God's ever done something, it's always been totally, completely, miraculously impossible. And so what does it mean that he didn't understand about the loaves? Here's what Jesus is saying. Guys, it is I. It is I. That means, it means that by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or purple or red or blue or Democrat or Republican. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It is I. We're to shift our attention, as Henry Nouwen says. 
We are simply to shift and continue to be shifting our attention away from the waves to the one who walks on the waves. The point is, Bethsaida is not the destination. Jesus is. Y'all, Jesus is the destination. You want peace? Jesus is peace. You want forgiveness? Jesus is forgiveness. You want to be justified? Jesus is justification. You want eternity? Jesus is eternity. You want justice? Jesus is justice. You want power? Jesus is power. You want home? Jesus is home. You want love? Jesus is love. You want God? Jesus is God. It's all in one in Jesus Christ. It is I. They didn't understand about the loaves. He keeps showing them, look how awesome I am. You're looking impossibly. Look how wonderful and glorious and perfect I am. And I'm with you guys. Life is hard. Jesus came. (laughs) It's going to be hard. When we leave here, it's going to be hard and weird again. I was thinking of this illustration. What does it mean to have Jesus being all in one? Like, we're looking for all these different things. We're looking for comfort. We're looking for peace. We're looking for uh, fulfillment. We're looking for relationship. We're looking for all of these different things. We're looking for all of these different messiahs. But in Jesus, it's all in one. Everything... Every spiritual blessing is in Jesus. It's so simple, and I need it to be simple. I'm simple. I get really distracted. I need it. Jesus is the absolute summation of every promise that the Lord ever wants to do is in Jesus Christ. And life is crazy stupid sometimes. It reminds me of an iPhone illustration. I'm sorry, I have to give this illustration. It's a weird illustration. But I used to own a flashlight, a camera, a phone, a calculator, a Walkman, a compass, a clock, a map, a book, a recorder, a paper book, a recorder, a guitar tuner, a wallet, but now in the fullness of time, an iPhone has come. (laughs) All of those various things, they're all one thing now. Everything you're looking for in eternity, everything, all shalom and flourishing, Everything is found in Jesus. And your heart will break until the day you die. Jesus wins. That's why he does this. That's why this story is so wonderful. That we want to relieve the tension, but we don't have to relieve the tension. We live in the tension with God. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle and strain. It it doesn't mean that we don't die. It means that life makes very little sense, but that's okay. And people who say they have it all figured out and they will give you answers to all the questions, they're called cult leaders. The only people you listen to, the only pastor that you look for in this church is someone who literally with himself, he wants to point you to Jesus and away from himself. John the Baptist, who was the greatest man that ever lived according to Jesus, said, I must decrease and Christ must increase. You need more Jesus, not less Jesus. So what do we do? So what? There's a great quote by Rilke, the poet, um, he, writing to one of his students, or writing to uh, his letters to a young poet, his book. But I think it, it, it fits here. He says, I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart. And try to love the questions themselves. 
as if those questions were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. The point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Someday, maybe in the future, you'll gradually, without even noticing, live your way into an answer. Here's the point. Jesus is the answer. Now we're free to ask questions, live the questions, live in the tension of the questions. The world needs to see us with questions because we found the answer. The answer. You wake up tomorrow, like I do every morning, I wake up with like, I don't know if I can do another day. How can I do another day? I wake up with that feeling with Jesus. I wake up with a feeling. The feeling hasn't gone away. The feeling is now the doorway to Jesus. I don't have answers to most of the questions that people have for me. <laughs> Why did my dad die? Why did my dad leave? Why do I have this addiction? Why do I have this problem? Why are people getting sick? Why did my spouse leave? Why do I have this disease? Why is America in such turmoil? I don't know the answer to these very important questions. I know that Jesus walks on water. And he was crucified and dead and buried. He descended into hell on the third day. He rose again and he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God. I know that that's true. I'll close with an illustration. My daughter, um, I gave this illustration, I think, here like five years ago, so I'm sure you all remember it. That was a joke. Um, but I think it really fits here. When my daughter was about three years old, we were down at the Gulf of Mexico, and the waves kept coming, and she was having so much fun running up to the waves and then running away from the waves. And it was really, really cute. And so she got braver. She would actually kind of get into the water a little bit. And then one time, one of those rogue waves, kind of a rogue Gulf of Mexico wave, which means it's about this high, came over, knocked her over, tumbled sand in her little face, and she looked at the Gulf of Mexico, and she said, stop it right now. <laughs> so here's the point. The Gulf of Mexico didn't stop. But that's the what I'm doing with my, so much of my rage it has to do with just life. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. Stop it right now. And they just... Just again and again. But here's the good news. And this is what Jesus is giving us a foretaste of. One day, this Jesus is going to return. And he's going to look at the chaos. And he's going to say, stop it right now. And it will become like glass. There's a river that makes glad the city of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to remind myself and these people of your goodness, your sufficiency, your glory. We are weak. You are strong. We love you. We need you. Thank you that faith is just needing you. We need you. Thank you for being everything we need. Amen.